Glad you're all here today. As you know, we're finishing up our pledge program for this month and for this year, and I managed to even find a joke about pledge programs. Can you imagine? There are people out there writing jokes about just any old weird thing. All right. So it was the end of pledge month, and although the goal had not quite been reached, the minister felt good about the level of participation and the financial stability of the center. The sanctuary was mostly empty when nine-year-old Billy approached the minister with a pledge card. Is it too late to give you my pledge card, asked Billy. Well, the minister received the card, but asked Billy, five dollars, isn't that just about your whole allowance? Well, yeah, but I figure you need it. Well, the center's doing fine, Billy. We didn't meet our expansion goal, but we have plenty to budget for next year. Kind-hearted Billy looked confused. I thought the pledge was for you. Well, the minister explained, see, I'm on a regular salary. The pledges go to the center, not to me. Oh, that's too bad, said Billy, because I know you could really use it. (laughs) Why do you say that, Billy? Well, I heard Mom and Dad the other day, and they say you're the poorest minister we've ever had. (laughs) Oh. Hey, it's not my joke. I just... I just read them. <laughs> so, so I'm glad you're all here. We're finishing, we're finishing up this Ask and It Is Given book. And really, we've spent all month working on the law of attraction. And I think we've got it down pretty good. We understand that it is the combination of our thoughts and our emotions. And when we put them in alignment, it's as though we're the most powerful magnet on the planet. And so if we're in alignment in terms around abundance and love and joy and peace, well, then that's what we're going to attract in. And if, on the other hand, we we get forgetful now and then, and our thoughts and our emotions center on lack or despair and things like that, well, there's the corresponding bad news, because that might be what we attract into our lives as well. So that's how it works. Last week we talked about um, really looking at... um, the emotional content of it, really recognizing that it's not just the thoughts, but really our heart has to be in alignment with it as well. Otherwise, we're sending God those weird mixed messages where our thoughts might be of the new house, but our heart is saying, damn it, I don't have it yet. Do you know what I mean? It's that mixed message thing that sometimes thwarts us in this program. Well, today, we're going to expand our thought about this law of attraction a little. So far, we've been looking at it from a personal standpoint. How can you use, personally, the law of attraction in your life? But I'm sure you've already figured this out. The world, as it is right now, is the result of everyone using the law of attraction. It isn't just uh, us as individuals. There's really no escaping this law because God, uh, to everyone equally, is listening in, so to speak. It has has the, the infinite consciousness focused in on the thoughts and the feelings and, and that sense of alignment with everyone on the planet. Now, if this is true, you might ask, well, why are things in kind of a mess? I mean, I mean, here and there, all kinds of really rotten stuff might be going on. And certainly, if we're using this law of attraction for abundance purposes, well, well, what about the places in the world where it would appear that there's very little abundance? In fact, right here in America, the statistics are that right now, a record number of children are on the free school lunch program, meaning that their families are at or below the poverty level. So why, given this extraordinary law of attraction, 
do we see such a mishmash, if you will, of uh, outpicturing of abundance on the planet? Well, this is one of those good news and bad news stories. The good news is the people right here in this room, we have a fairly good handle on how this works. And so with us paying attention to our thoughts, when we're focused on what it is we want to receive on this planet, we have relatively good outcomes. But what about all the people who've never heard of this? Or what about all of the people out there that kind of, uh, how do I want to say this, are in kind of a reactive mode? Do you know what I mean? That when something bad happens, rather than them steadfastly saying, no, I'm better than this, I understand the truth of myself. I understand that there is a place in me that's whole and perfect. I understand that abundance is my birthright. Rather than saying that, a lot of people just react out of fear. When something bad happens, that very message in their own heart is one of fear and lack. And unfortunately, you know, here's that bad news. Unfortunately, when our heart is full of lack or, um, or feeling unloved or, or fear, that's what we're going to get more of. It's that same darn, well, I say darn law of attraction. I mean, it's really a blessing, right? When we're conscious, it's a total blessing. But when we go unconscious, if we're just in that reactive mode, if we listen to the myriad of voices around us telling us the world is small and, and that crime is up and poverty is high and, and all those kinds of talks, when we believe that, when we internalize it, when we even start saying it's true, most likely for us, oh my gosh, then it's the law of attraction gone wrong. Do you know what I mean? Still working full force, but it's going to bring us what we don't want to have. So, how do we upscale this thing? We got a handle, I think, this month, don't we, on how to use this law of attraction in our own life. I've already talked to a lot of people that are already uh, having some great success using that just from this month, up-leveling up their own sense of having plenty, up-leveling their own sense of being loved enough and cherished enough. I know it's working on us as individuals. Is there anything we can do about it collectively? Is there anything we can do to help our neighbors and friends and the people we love? I think there is, but it might not come in the form that you might imagine. Can we directly help someone else? I don't think so. I don't think in the sense that we usually mean that, do we actually help other people? Now, I'm not talking about uh, you know a helping hand. All of us from time to time find our place, uh, ourselves in a place where, where we need a little extra help, whether it's a month that we might uh, um, you know, ask out to help with rent money or, or, or having a meal or you know, someone who's temporary homeless or whatever it might be. Obviously, now and then, we all need a helping hand, and, and that's why we're here to support one another. But... Can we directly change someone's thinking? I don't think so. That's the sort of stuff that we so rebelled as as teenagers. <laughs> Do you remember that? I, I had the great honor of taking care of teenage boys for a number of years in a foster care program. And I got to tell you, the last thing a teenager wants is advice from someone who's older. Do you know what I mean? It's like, no, by gosh, I'm going to learn this all myself. And after I think about it, I'm kind of right in there with the teen. I don't want people telling me how to live. Now and then I may stumble, I may even fall, but by gosh, it's my life. I want to live it. 
All of us do. It's that little thing we call free will. Do you know what I mean? And how horrible it is to know you have free will and then have someone that you know and love want to take it away from you. Well, no. Here's how you really ought to be living. Here's what you really ought to do. If you, if you were a little wiser, right? If you were a little smarter, if you had a little more experience, if you were a little more spiritual, that oh, that would be a scary place for us to go, right? To our friends and neighbors. Now, if you only knew what I knew about God, then you'd... But this way is just craziness. If you want to see a friend put the brakes on, just try walking down that path. And even if you're, and even if you're right, I mean, even if you are all right, you'd be asking them to live your life, not their life. So can we direct other people? Can we change the, the lives of other folks in a direct way? I don't think so. I don't think in that traditional sense. And, and I want to use a, a cooking example here. You'll probably think I'm crazy. Uh, but who here likes to cook or participates a bit in the kitchen? Oh, good, a fair number of people. All right. Well, if you've ever been to my house, you probably know I have the world's largest spice cabinet. It's like, I, I, I mean, I have a, a spice cabinet, not a spice, you know, rack. And you, am I right, Star? Yeah. I remember her got lot. She was trying to find, I think, chili spices one day, and it's like, what the heck? <laughs> but I think that life is like that. Life is the infinity of the world's largest spice cabinet. And all of us are cooking up one heck of a life here. Each one of us, according to our own unique recipe, is doing a most amazing job of creating this life. And I got to tell you, there are spices in that cabinet that I've only ever used once, and maybe for one recipe. And I got to tell you, that spice might not get used again. Do you know what I mean? I remember the first time I made curry. Oh my gosh, I don't think any of us could eat it. I put in totally, it was either way too many spices or the wrong ones, because it was kind of like, oh yeah, this is good, and as we all, as we all lie to ourselves, right? Well, over the years, I've learned what spices to use and, 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 what, uh, and, and what measures of them to use. But does that mean that the spices I used the very first time were bad? No. They're not bad. They just didn't fit in with the recipe I was trying to create. Maybe they would be perfectly well in someone else's recipe. And I think that's what it is with life as well. When we think we know the answer for someone else, we're expecting them to use our recipe. Their own way has to be unique. It has to be beautiful, certainly, but it's their idea of beauty. It has to be abundant, but it's going to be their idea of abundance. And if they struggle a bit, what are we to do? Tell them they're cooking the wrong thing? I think they have to learn for themselves what spices in life are the right ones and to their own taste. Some people like their life a little on the spicy side, don't they? And is there anything wrong with that? It's different. You don't always want to be right up next to it if you know what I mean. <laughs> but there's something beautiful 
about doing life with all the zest and verve that it calls for, even if the spiciness of it isn't to everyone's taste. And there are other people that have the bland life. Do you know what I mean? Uh, if you had met my mom before she made her transition, some of you might have said she was boring. But in her quiet way, she was as complex and loving and, and beautiful as anyone here on this planet. Dull, I think it just means we didn't look closely enough. These are different recipes for life that on the surface might be wildly different. And yet they're unique. They're beautiful. They are the recipes of life. They are to be honored. So back to my original question. What can we do to help other people? Well, I think we can do a couple things that are really powerful. But it isn't about messing up their recipe. One is simply that we can stand as loving witnesses to the people that we care about. Do you know how powerful that is? To have someone that you know will stick with you no matter what? Not trying to fix you. Not trying to be all up in your business, because I hate that. But do you have friends that you know will stick to you thick and thin no matter what happens? This is powerful, isn't it? It means you are worthy. It means there is a part in you that will always be supported. It means that you are worthy of love for now and forever, no matter what's going on on the outside, no matter what the uh, misused spice of the day is, right? They are there for you saying, yes, this is love. This is life. You are worth it. You are my friend. You are my loved one. I am here for you. This is so powerful. The other thing that we can do for one another, and this one sounds very indirect, and I'm not even really sure how to describe it very well, because we think that we're doing something good for ourselves. Let me explain. Have you ever been back to school, maybe to, uh, to take a class so that you'd be better qualified for a job that you want? Or have you ever... Um, uh, embarked upon maybe a new hobby because you knew it would bring out the creativity in you. It would bring out greater joy in you. Have you ever embarked upon something really new, a stretch for you because you knew you were worth it? And you think it was for you, right? Think a little more. When you do something that uplifts you, when you create in yourself a greater sense of joy, a greater sense of integrity, a greater sense of confidence, do you think the rest of the world is isolated from that? When I am joyous, do you think it doesn't bubble over into Star's life? When I am feeling um, just confident and super, when I'm uh, maybe teaching a class or something, do you think that that stays just with me? When you uplift yourself, when you bring greater joy into your life, when you bring, bring better abundance into your life, anything that improves your life improves the world. And it is more direct than what you might imagine. I can think of countless examples from my own life where just being me have made a tremendous difference to other people without me doing a thing. I didn't have to say, you know, you should fix this. <laughs> because I think we go there sometimes, don't we? I remember a good friend of mine was really struggling with alcoholism. And, and of course, me being in a 12-step program myself, me understanding the, the trouble of addiction, I just wanted to wade right in. Do you know what I mean? I wanted to just fix things. It's like, well, we'll set you up with meetings and we'll do this. And, and it's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, did that 
that not work? <laughs> oh my gosh, did that not work? But what I realized was just talking about my own experience, my own ability to rise above the dependence on alcohol, my, my own ability to be living a happy and joyous life. I think that did an amazing job for my friend. It wasn't about fixing him. It was about showing him how powerfully we can work on ourselves. <laughs> and so if you want to have a powerful effect on your friends and your neighbors, if you want to do something wonderful for the world, just start right here. Take a class. Become more loving. Um, start a new relationship. Um, find some ways of helping other people, really helping them through the, the power of your own thinking and, and, and being a good example for others. You are an amazingly powerful force in this universe. And it isn't through fixing, it isn't through trying to physically change the world. And you know, that's the other folly of fixing other people. Because what are you fixing? You're fixing the outside of things, right? You're, you're, you're like fixing the, uh, the radiator when it's the water pump that's broken. Does that, I, I know some of you are like, what? <laughs> but I learned to think about cars the other day, right? <laughs> and so you need to really work on ourselves and, and, and what's the most important thing, and it's our thoughts, it's our emotions, it's like where we're headed from a, from a whole body perspective. And when we just fix the outside parts of things, whether it's for ourselves or other people, the fundamental flaws are still there. The, the thinking that will get people in trouble, whether it's you or a loved one, still exists. That was the trouble with my friend who was having um, so much uh, trouble with alcohol is my trying to fix the outside of his life didn't do a darn thing about his mental processes. Inside, he was just as drunk as ever. I think we all, a little bit, are addicted to faulty thinking. Do you know what I mean by that? We're all a little bit addicted to catastrophizing, to, to think that when things are going crazy in the world that it means us, that we're going to participate in that craziness. We're all a little bit faulty around thinking that the bad things that have happened to me in the past are likely to occur again. This is all faulty thinking and we're a little bit addicted to it and so i would like to suggest that today we can do something about that as individuals not try to fix each other because i think that's the realm of craziness but i think one thought by one thought we can begin having a powerful effect on our own lives when we catch ourselves thinking about oh my gosh you know the the end of the mayan calendar the sky is gonna fall or when we think of ourselves as, oh my gosh, I got an overdue bill. I, I, I guess, you know, really my finances are just terrible. When we start cycling around in those feelings of not being good enough, of not having enough, of not being powerful, we just stop it. This is a power that we can exert. And it doesn't just end with us. Our ability to take better charge over our thinking, to align our thoughts and our emotions for positive good, this does the world a great benefit. 
as more and more people begin to think more and more consciously, as more and more people on the planet begin aligning themselves with the essential truths of an infinite nature, of a, of a God that's willing to co-create with you, when this is the message that we all have, all this disarray of the planet will begin disappearing. It will fade as the thoughts of those catastrophes, as the, the thoughts of all of that junk goes away, the outward appearance of it will go away too. The, the cure for things like war isn't to, to put up a good fight. <laughs> the cure for something like war is to acknowledge the peace right here individually in our own hearts. And when enough people do that, war will be impossible. To eliminate poverty, it isn't about uh, trying to take from the rich and, and, and give to the poor. That would just make a muddle of the whole planet instead of just half of it. <laughs> when we all feel rich, when we all have a sense of material wealth being there for everyone, when we begin thinking about cooperation instead of conflict, that is how the economic problems of the, the universe are settled. Let us consider ourself. I'd like to read just a, a, a little tidbit from, uh, from this book that we've been using this month. Esther Hicks says, Sometimes our friends express their desire for a less diverse universe. They long for a place where there are not so many unwanted things, a place where more things are exactly as they would prefer them to be. I always explain that you did not come forth into this physical experience wanting to take all the choices that exist and whittle them down to a handful of good ideas that maybe someone else came up with. This is an expanding universe. All things must be allowed. And for you to understand and experience what you desire, you must understand what you do not desire. It's that spice cabinet again. There may well be spices in there that are not suitable to your recipe. Some of them may even be downright poisonous. Doesn't mean they're bad choices. They're not your choices. Let us begin creating the recipe of our dreams. Let us begin cooking with the, the full flavor of what it is we want to create. Let's let go of other people's ideas of how we should live our lives and how we should show up. Let's have ever greater clarity on, on the way of living that we want, the spice of life that is right for us. And as we do this, the world itself improves. As we do this, the people in our lives improve. They have to. It rubs off on them. It, it becomes them. The joy and the love and the sweetness and the delight that you bring to life, life responds to. Your friends respond to. The universe responds to. I'm going to close with just a little bit of homework today. Uh, a fun process. You know, one of the, the pluses of this book are the, the 20 abundance exercises in the back of it. And this month I've been selecting a, a few of them each week for us to look at. So the one that's in your program this week is called the wallet process. Um, let me read you here. It says, first obtain a $100 bill and put it in your wallet. Keep it with you at all times. And whenever you hold your wallet or purse, remember that your $100 bill is there. Feel pleased that it's there. 
Remind yourself often of the added sense of security that it brings to you. Now as you move through your day, take note of the many things you could choose to purchase with that $100. As you pass a nice restaurant, notice that if you really wanted to, you could stop in and have a lovely meal. As you see something in a department store, remind yourself if, if you really wanted to, you could purchase that because you always have $100. By having the $100 bill and not spending it, you get the benefit of using it over and over and over again in your heart, right? And it is in our heart and it is in our mind that the thoughts of abundance begin. And so even though you might say, well, Larry, that's a little bit of trickery there, isn't it? <laughs> so what? So what if we use the power of that $100 bill to buy $1,000 worth of things in our mind? Because it is in our mind where when we begin feeling prosperous and having that open heart, that's where it all starts. Now, a friend of mine, we did this exercise a couple years ago, and a friend of mine said, well, I'm a little nervous about having a $100 bill in my purse. Are you sure that we need to do that? And my suggestion would be, well, I think that it will work for you. If this is a fear you have, though, you might try doing what I do. I went to my credit union, and I uh, often for purchases use a debit card. And so I simply have my debit card set up so that if it ever overdraws, it takes it from a little savings account that I have $300 in. So instead of having a $100 bill in my pocket, I have this card that always has $300 on it. No matter what, you know, no matter what's in my checking account, I have $300. So for me, it's, it's the same thing. Uh, I, I can, I can um, use that whenever I like, knowing that $300 is always there. And I always keep it there. I never spend it. So I am perpetually $300 rich, ready to buy anything in my heart. <laughs> All right. So use one of these techniques. I think it will do the trick. I think it will open your heart a bit. It will make you feel powerful. It will make you feel like you are a king or a queen, able to purchase what you want to purchase. That motivates that law of attraction into bringing you ever more opportunities for receiving more. Any questions about that one? I think you'll have fun with it. Although I have to admit, having the actual physical $100 bill is pretty cool. So. It, you know, like, let's not worry about carrying around $100. Let's just do it, because it sounds uh, luxurious to me, okay? All right. So to close this entire week out, I just leave you with a promise, and I'll leave you with a prayer. The promise is that the law of attraction works. It can't not work. It's already working. It's simply where we put our attention. And the prayer goes like this. There is one power and one presence in this universe that is this thing called life. And what I know about life is it's infinitely, infinitely abundant. You look out at the night sky, can you count the stars? You look at the grains of sand on the beach, can you count them? The raindrops outside this fall, infinite in array. The riches of the universe are without the ability to ever count them all. And what I know is that also means me, that I'm part of the richness of the universe. And I have heir to all of this good, the, the joy, the peace, the love, the, the abundance, the, the safety and security. Everything that I desire is available to me 
And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room. Everyone here has that same access to God's divine co-creative process. The law of abundance always at work. And for each person here, I know that with each day, there is that greater ability to consciously choose our thoughts, to put our thoughts and our hearts in alignment, to always be choosing things that are uplifting and loving and joyous and uh, luxurious feeling. This is what I know for each person here, that life is good, that life is love, that life is powerful. And so I'm grateful for this. I'm simply grateful for uh, just seeing how God shows up as the faces of each person in this room. Grateful for life. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much.